Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome back to episode number 159 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am Anthony. And I am Michael, and we are happy to be with you for another week of the Beers and Bible podcast. There's a hair on my computer. I had to get that off. Sorry. Um, <laughs> That's what's Bible causing podcast. technical difficulties all night yes. long. <laughs> yes, we've been having all sorts of issues, mostly on Anthony's end for once. Yes. So um, it's usually on my end. Because of where my office is in relation to the router and everything, no one cares. Um, <laughs> Anthony, other than having to update the firmware in your microphone, which is a <laughs> sentence I don't think anyone has ever said before, how are you doing? Man, I'm good. Yeah, so I've got one of those cool <laughs> USB microphones that all the the uh, hip podcasters have, and uh, I was like, this has happened before. It's where like my mic just randomly won't work, but mm-hmm. I can hear it. So I think it's working, but nobody else can hear it. And so Michael couldn't hear me. And I was like, hang on, wait, let me check this. And it was like, yeah, you need to update. So I updated my microphone like mid troubleshooting and it still didn't work. It still didn't solve the problem. So I just had to shut my computer down and move to another computer. Yeah. But other than that, uh, we've just been been hanging in there, man. January is officially over now. Um, as we're recording, today's Groundhog Day. So yes, it I, is. I didn't even look like did did Puxatani field did he see a shadow or are we going to get early spring this year? Pux, uh, how do you spell Puxatani? There yeah, I got it. You, you, mm-hmm. Just like that, Puxatani. He saw his shadow. So that means uh, uh was that mean six more weeks of winter? It means nothing because he's a groundhog. <laughs> I want to know who came up with this tradition and why it's still a thing. You know what I love though? I don't know if you've ever watched it. Have you ever watched the like ceremony thing? The guys in the big tall hats, they look like it's the 1800s I've seen, again. I've seen pictures of them, but it's kind of funny to me. I don't know. They If you live the, in Philadelphia, tell us about the it. The thing happens at a place called Gobbler's Knob. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so much of this is just cringy, man. So much cringe, so much cringe. Oh man, but it's been good. I am uh I'm ready for I'm ready for some hot weather. I know the people in Texas are ready for some hot weather. This is like the second time uh they've had an ice storm in the last two years and they don't know what to do with it. I didn't even know there was an ice storm in Texas. Well, it didn't shut down the power this time like it did in twenty twenty one when like, you uh-huh. know, the whole state lost power for like two and a half weeks and it was yeah. like didn't get above zero for a week and a half or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this one's not that bad, but there is there is snow in Texas um, again. So that's crazy. It is crazy. Um, but uh, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, <laughs> it's that simple, huh? Yeah. No, everything's good. Uh, we uh, we think we were through um, 
our youngest son had was going through a developmental leap in the last couple of weeks, Ooh. which is making sleep really fun. Mm. Um, but I we think we're that through pain. that. We're through that now because I'm going to find something wood real quick to <laughs> knock on. Um, I'm knocking on wood for you. <laughs> thank you. He he has slept through the night for uh, like two or three nights in a row now. So, nice. And like sleep through the night is like 10, 12 hours for him, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. Um, wish my four-year-old would follow that lead, but no, he still is coming over to our bedroom every night about two in the morning. So I have a theory, but I'm not sure about it. So anyway, we're good. Works good. Uh, family is good here at home. Um, yeah, we're, we're ready for some warmer weather and, Mm. uh, that sort of thing. Um, the Friday, you know, this releases on the It'll be the tenth. So tenth, on yep. the twelfth, there's a big football game that I don't know if we can say the name of it. It's uh, I love to eat soup out of a bowl. Um, mm-hmm. the soup is so good, you know, like chili soup and other kind of soups. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's coming up when when no one has a when you don't have a dog in the fight, you don't really care about the game. You just want <laughs> exactly. to see what the commercials are. So I'll be rooting for the commercials. Um. And Which, uh, the commercials have been a failure the last couple of years. I'm not. They gonna have lie. been <laughs> the the thing I'm most excited about for the for that event um, is Chris Stapleton singing the national anthem. Do you think he'll do better than the Pentatonics did at the? Yes. Ooh, his, his some voice strong is, words, man. The Pentatonics. Yeah, that was it. that was that was a good national anthem, but his voice is. We'll find out in two days, and by two days, I mean <laughs> a week in two days. <laughs> a week in two days. So, let's get into our beer review for the week. Um, let's do it, Anthony. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what you are sipping on? I am tonight. I'm going back to uh, Avondale. I did an Avondale a way long time ago, back when we used to use voice changers. So many millennia ago, I did an Avondale beer. It was the most modern. Many moons, <laughs> um, but since I've uh, since I've graduated now in in my beer selections and I'm enjoying more sours these days, uh, I grab this one. It's the sour pash, and I'm going to say that real real carefully because I feel like I could say something wrong if I don't say that right. Um, sour pash uh, beer, and they're super simple on this uh, description here. It comes in at four point three ABV. And they call it this. Where did I, oh, I lost it? There it is. Okay, so it says pucker up. Sour pash is here. This passion fruit sour is fruity mm-hmm. and refreshing. Hazy treat for the lover of all things tart. So I'm hoping this is kind of like a sweet tart in beer form. That's what I'm hoping mm-hmm. for. That sounds good. It does sound good. What are you drinking tonight? So tonight I have from a new brewery to the podcast, Orpheus Brewing. Based in Atlanta, mm-hmm. I think. Yes, Atlanta. Um, I have the Do or Die Oatmeal Cream Stout. Um, comes in at six point one ABV. That's very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and their website do, 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 uh, says Do or Die is a bold classic style you don't see enough of. We love making stouts and wanted one sessionable enough you could drink it in pints instead of tasters. Though a portion of this gets treated to our long stout boil, it is at its heart 
an English milk stout that initially drew us to the rich possibilities of beer. Silky, soft, and sessionable. They use that word twice. I don't like that. This oatmeal cream stout <laughs> offers aromas of chocolate and coffee, followed by rich notes of toffee and caramel. So um, I have actually seen this beer in um, package stores for like two years. Mm-hmm. And I've never done it. So tonight I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. So the oatmeal nice. cream stout do or die from Orpheus is what I'm drinking. Well, let's crack them open and see how tasty they are. Let's do it. Here we go. Three, two, one. Crack. You know, I'm kind of glad that my wife doesn't like sours. So she doesn't drink your beer. <laughs> Pretty much. Which is surprising to me that she doesn't like sours because, uh, oh, that looks nice. This thing is solid dark. Because she likes vodka. Mm. And usually people who like vodka. And she also likes White Claws. Yeah. I know, right? I just lost a ton of respect for your wife. <laughs> she also drinks Trulies. Uh, That's I like- mean... A little bit better than White Claw. <laughs> I had them when we went to the beach over the summer, uh-huh. but I also had a case of Yingling that I was <laughs> trying to finish. <laughs> Goals so, in life, man. Um, so this thing smells very stouty and looks mm-hmm. very stouty. Um, there's that no thing does foam. look very stouty. <laughs> there's no there's no head on it at all, which is a little bothersome to me. I don't know. And there's no Did you like, pour it too smooth. No, it no, I it came out smooth. Like I'm a little concerned that this may have been sitting there a while. <laughs> That's the original can from the first time you saw it over three years ago. <laughs> Gosh, I would be the worst. <laughs> um, all right, well let's let's drink our beers and see what oh stuck to the coaster. Hang on, there we go. Okay, let's <laughs> drink our beers and see what we have. <laughs> Bottoms up. Cheers. I'm going to say this. I would be willing to bet money that you would give this five losers. How much money? At least $100. Oh, okay. (laughs) Strong words. You know, I would give it four and a half losers just Just so you lose $100. (laughs) You would do that to me. I would split the. I would split it with you though. I'd give you fifty bucks back. <laughs> you give me fifty bucks back. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate you looking out for me like that. <laughs> oh, all right. Tell us about the uh, sour patch because I'm still trying to still still deciding. This I'm is uh, this is a really good sour. Um, sours are still growing on me a little bit, so I'm not quite as enthused about them most of the time as Michael is, but. Like to me, this is a great blend of the fruity and still tarty, like sour. Mm-hmm. Like they they nailed it in the description when they said it's like the perfect blend of fruit and tart. Mm-hmm. Um, passion fruit. I I guess you kind of have to like passion fruit. Um, you have to know what passion fruit tastes like. Yes. Like, have you ever just chowed down on passion fruit? I don't think I've ever actually like only passion fruit. I went to Jamaica one time and it was in a fruit salad. But I don't know mm-hmm. that I could have picked out like, oh, that's passion fruit, because everything looks like passion fruit when you go to Jamaica. <laughs> that's fair. So, 
but um taste wise it's great it's on point um brewing wise it's good it's smooth it's everything you'd expect in a tart it's a little bit more um carbonated than i think i was expecting or wanting mm-hmm. um in my in my old age these days i found that i don't like super carbonated stuff much anymore which is kind of strange because it makes me burp a lot so um which there's a funny story about that i'll tell you that later um but anyway i'm gonna give this i'm gonna give it four and a half luthers just okay. because it's like it's nothing like super crazy ride home oh my okay. gosh this is amazing but this is a very well done excellent beer um i'm not upset that i have five more of these in fact you know there may be a time when i'm in the store and i go buy a couple more of these because it's pretty good um but yeah the sour pash from uh avondale brewing and they are in birmingham i don't know if i said that earlier they're in birmingham alabama getting four and a half luthers from me tonight so is it do or is it die it's (laughs) i'm i'm really struggling um I think I know why. Stouts are not my favorite. This is they're they're higher than IPAs and they're higher than Pilsners. Pretty much everything's higher than IPAs. That's fair. <laughs> um, but I'm still not a huge fan of stouts. Um, the flavors are like it says there's aromas of chocolate and coffee, mm-hmm. and I smell chocolate and I smell coffee. And then when you drink it, it says it's followed by rich notes of toffee and caramel. Okay. I'm definitely getting caramel. Mm -hmm. Toffee is like a flavor that's not like super distinct um, to me. Like I I couldn't pick out toffee. Like that's what toffee is supposed to taste like. I wouldn't be able to do that. (laughs) Um, we're not so, food critics over here, all right? We're not. <laughs> We've only been doing this for like two and a half years. Give us a break. <laughs> um, I mean, the flavor's good. The texture is kind of weird because it's so sm- like it is so smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what this needs is a pipe or a cigar. Honestly, bet. And Let's do that. <laughs> I, I may, I may have to do that over, over the next couple of days just to just to test a theory I have. Um, but on its own, it's just kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll give it like I keep coming back to three and a half, and I think that's where I'm going to land on this thing. Three and a half. It's three and a half fair. Luthers out of five. Not not bad. Not not great. Nothing to put it like way over the top, but also yeah. not not as bad as some of other beers that we've had in the past. <laughs> so not the best, but not the worst. No, I've got five of them. Maybe it'll grow on me over the next you know week or so, or maybe not. I don't know. It's, it's you okay. might be pouring them out in two months. <laughs> I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to not let my beer fridge get so full that I have to make multiple trips downstairs. <laughs> I also moved some beer from upstairs to downstairs to put in the fridge downstairs because it's stuff that, I gave five Luthers. Uh, I gave the, which one was it? The OG fruited sour a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. I still have some of those, so I took those downstairs. Nice. The Angry Orchard's gone. That stuff's gone. <laughs> that was gone in like two days, wasn't it? <laughs> Maybe three. It took about three days to finish on oh, okay. it. But. 
But there we have it. Sour Pash from Avondale Brewing getting four and a half out of five Luthers from Anthony. And the Do or Die Oatmeal Cream Stout from Orpheus Brewing getting three and a half Luthers out of five for me. That is our beer review for the week. Boom. If you want to so. stick around, which we hope you do, because we hope you're enjoying our walk, uh, walk through the Bible, uh, stick around. And we're going to talk about Daniel tonight. And we're going to bring out the John Hagee charts and um, the 70 years. I mean, we have it all coming tonight. It's it's, the whole thing's coming down. So you're going to want to stick around for this thing because it's going to be epic. and It's going to be about four and a half hours long. So stick around and we'll be right back. Cracking open another one there, huh? We are back. Um, so this is the Christmas cart. Oh, that one was good. I still, I still had one in the fridge, and I was like, you know what? I'm drinking it because it's February, and I want to remember <laughs> Christmas. Um, so welcome back to our episode uh, on Daniel. Tonight, we're going to walk through the book of Daniel. We hope you're enjoying this book-by-book uh, book study. I know I am. I'm learning stuff every week. I, I trust Anthony is, too. Um I don't know. Maybe he knew knew all this stuff. I don't know. Um, but we're uh, we're just gonna keep keep on right on rolling here. Uh, Daniel is the next book in the uh, walkthrough that we're doing, and um, here's just some uh, information about Daniel to kind of set us up for where we're gonna go. Um, the book of Daniel is uh, stories about God bringing honor to Himself through Daniel and his friends that uh, with him in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's four apocalyptic visions about the future kingdom of God. And this is tied to uh, revelation. Uh, so you, we'll see, a, we'll see the connection there. Um, Daniel uh, was in early exile to Babylon. Um, his story is very similar to that of Joseph uh, in Egypt. And the, some of the emphasis here in Daniel are um, God's sovereignty over the nations, which comes up, which has come up the last few weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, God's care for his people, even in exile, and God's sovereignty of and final victory over uh, human evil. So that's just kind of some information to get us set up for where we're going. Yes. And Daniel, if you've ever read Daniel, um, you know that it does have some very strange sections. Um and it is uh, John in the Revelation. It is not the Revelations. It is the Revelation of John. Just in case you're wondering, it's like Walmart's. You don't go to Walmart's. You go to Walmart. Did I say Revelations or Revelation? <laughs> no, you didn't. You okay. said Revelation. But there's a okay. lot of people who say, turn in your book, in your Bibles to Revelations 14.7. And uh, Should yeah. they say <laughs> the Revelations? Uh, no, because it's one Revelation. It is, oh, is a it only, revelation. It's, all, it's a single revelation. Yes, the whole huh. thing. It's the revelation of John. <laughs> oh. Well, there you go. There's the thing I learned this week. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we have too much fun with this thing. Anyway, oh. back to Daniel. 
back to Daniel. So even though Daniel is not in the strictest of terms a prophet, he is in the American Bible. I say the American Bible, like in the version of the Bible that we use today, he is grouped in with the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, it goes on. Okay, the majors and minors. We call him a minor prophet. In the Hebrew Bible, he was actually with the uh, writings, not the prophets. Now, there is a prophetic overtone in Daniel, which mm-hmm. is probably why we have them grouped together in our current modern-day Bible. We have it grouped together with the prophets because Daniel is delivering you know, words of God to the people, which is what a prophet does. So there is that aspect, but there is also this narrative uh, form and this apocalyptic genre deal of what's happening in the book uh, of Daniel. And so um, the the genre really affects it, makes it not really a prophet. um, And he's not really a prophet in the, in like the Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel sense. Um, So if you, you know, it's, it's not really apples to apples when you're talking like that. Um, but Daniel's intent with this book is to encourage God's people who are living under foreign domination. You got to remember Daniel's writing this and, and he's living this experience during the Babylonian exile. Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, there's a lot of turmoil happening from the end of the seventh century. So like 610 on into that time down into the, the first start of the sixth century, which is going to be like 598 down into, of course you have Jerusalem falling in um, 586. You have the Babylonian captivity that happens till close to 531 when the Persians defeat the Babylonians. Um, And so you have all of these world events that are actually happening during this time. And because of that, you have this, I'm going to use a 75 cent word. You have this amalgamation of people Mm -hmm. that are in this, this area that today we would call this like the middle East. This is Israel, Saudi Arabia, parts of Afghanistan, Turkey, um, all of that area all in here is, is what's included in all this is the Persian, the Medes, the Greeks, the, um, that area is what we're talking about. The Mediterranean, the middle East, if you will. And so there in that, time there was two common languages and and well i say common language there was two distinct languages one of them was aramaic which is what jesus spoke um it was kind of like the common tongue and then you had hebrew is the the language that israel used um and so daniel is actually written in both languages Mm. and chapters one and then you have chapters 8 through 12, which is kind of like the ending parts of the the visions and the conclusion. Um, those are written in Hebrew, and then chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. Now, there are some scholars, um, and you, you got to remember all of this stuff as you're reading through the book. You got to remember you're switching languages mid-book. You know, this is like uh, you're reading a book in English, and then you turn to chapter 2, and all of a sudden it's in Spanish. Uh, you may not know what's going on. So you're going to skip the Spanish chapters until you start seeing English languages again, right? And uh, and so you have to you have to think about the way that's going to affect the readers of the day. So the Hebrew people are going to be fluent in both languages. So they're going to be able to read the whole book start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are going to be some people who may pick up this book who are only going to know the Aramaic chapters. And so there's some scholars who have suggested that 
you know, maybe chapter one and then chapters eight through 12 are specifically for God's people. Like it's, it's, it's a word specifically for them so that they can understand it. And then you have chapters two through seven, which is more of a general, um, I guess, storytelling and vision uh, for all of the people, for all of the nations. And then you think, you know, as we walk through this, you're going to see what happens in chapters two through seven. There's a lot of uh, dream interpretations. You got Daniel and the lion's den happens in two through seven. You've got the fiery furnace that happens in two through seven. So you end up with these stories that are more, I guess, focused on God's overruling sovereignty is in the chapters that mm-hmm. go out or kind of could possibly be said, okay, these are for the whole nations. And then these other ones where you're talking about God restoring his people, again, back to the prophetic um, overtones, the messianic overtones of what we've talked about in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, where God's going to restore himself and his people, and he's going to conquer the world. You know, he's going to conquer the nations and that kind of stuff. That's more of a, of a language that would have been used um, inside of the nation of Israel. Okay, so be, think think to filter that as you're as we're talking through this of this is possibly for these people. This other section is possibly for these people um, written towards or geared towards this type of people, because it's it's going to play out in a in a really interesting way as we talk through it. I want to go. I don't want to get too mm-hmm. far into it because we're going to talk through it and we're going to you're going to see this. Um, so let's walk through the book. Pick us up right there, chapter one, intro us, and let's talk about Daniel. All right. So uh, the first section here is an introductory narrative of uh, Daniel and his friends in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Um, This book, this chapter sets up the entire book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. Um, His friend, uh, Daniel and his friends outshine all others, uh, press into the king's service and do so precisely because they maintain covenant loyalty with regard to the food laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading directly from our uh, from what we're using as our guide here. So, um, And then uh, toward the end of the book, we see that God is the one pictured as the director of the events in the stories that follow um, in the book of Daniel. Um, chapter two is Nebuchadnezzar's dream is interpreted by Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few reasons for the this uh for the narrative here um it puts nebuchadnezzar in his place as um uh not as important or as powerful or as sovereign as god is um it presents daniel as god's agent um and it sets up later visions and note that the these last two particularly the daniel's god's agent and the later visions um, they're highlighted in Daniel's prayer in the in verses twenty through twenty three here, um, and even as the dream is interpreted, um, there's really no further interest in it. Yeah, as we move forward, like it's the dream gets interpreted and then they move on to the next thing, which is interesting, but also like I don't know, it's it's a weird thing. Um, and then the final verse here, uh, verse forty nine sets up the next story in which Daniel does not appear. That's right. We hear about those three guys that we have written songs and sang stories about, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, And 
they are saved in the fiery furnace. You, I'm sure if you were a kid growing up in a Southern Baptist church, you had the flannel graph of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there was the fiery furnace. And then all of a sudden there's the fourth person in the fire. Um, and it's like, everybody's like, oh, how did the fourth person get there? No, there's four of them. Why was there three? Anyway, um, so the point here of this narrative is to point out that the most powerful, so Nebuchadnezzar at this time, would have been considered one of the most powerful people on the earth. He is the king of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, they have conquered much of Israel and surrounding nations down into Egypt. Um, all of this is under his rule. And he makes this decree. And these guys are like, yeah, we're not going to follow that because that means that we would have to go against what God has told us to do, which is to not worship other gods. Mm -hmm. And you're telling us that we have to worship you as if you are a God. So uh, how about no? And uh, we're just going to do this. And so he's like, cool, bet. I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace. And also I'm going to turn up seven times hotter than it normally is. So hot that the guys who went to put the guys in the fire died, mm -hmm. which is interesting. <laughs> Those so, guys were just trying to do their job. <laughs> I know. And they died just trying to do their job. Gosh. Um, so anyway, you end up with these guys in the fire. And of course, you know the story. Uh, they're rescued. The The flames don't touch them, even though they're seven times hotter than they normally are. Um, and what it does is it shows Nebuchadnezzar that you may think you're important, but you got nothing because that's the best you had. And it didn't even singe the hairs on their robes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so Nebuchadnezzar is immediately put into his place. He's put into submission and that rolls into chapter four, where you end up with because of that realization of who he is, uh, it drives him to madness. And, and you know, there, there's uh, the argument that God actually drove him to madness, uh, acting mm. like animals, acting like an animal. Um, and so you see Nebuchadnezzar submitting to God's power, admitting basically that I'm nothing and you are the all powerful one. And I recognize that. And, and so you, you, uh, he goes mad and, and then ends up acting like animals. And Daniel comes back on the scene now at the end of chapter four and reinterprets a new vision. And mm -hmm. so that's going to push us into chapter five, where we get to talk about the new guy, Belshazzar. Yep. So, uh, Belshazzar, 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 yes, Belshazzar. These Old Testament names, man. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to John and Mark and Matthew and Paul. <laughs> um, no, so uh, Bel Belshazzar has a feast in um, the temple. Is that right? Temple. Yes. Yeah. I want to make sure I get it right because I don't want to be wrong. Um, and he has a feast in the temple, and the king does not honor God. And that is what leads to Babylon's demise. Um, and, you know, the the real issue here was that the Belshazzar and the people were almost idolizing the feasts mm -hmm. to a point. And that is what ultimately is ultimately leads to their demise is this idolatry and this focus on the feast that Belshazzar yeah. has yeah, the the feasts were essentially pagan worship services. I mean, yeah. that's that's a way to think about them. Yeah. 
Um, and here in, in this section, in chapter five, we also see uh, the handwriting on the wall um, mm-hmm. uh, narrative as well. So, And then we get to chapter six, which is Daniel in the lion's den, a well-known passage. Um, and in spite of knowing the consequences for his disobedience, Daniel refuses to stop worshiping God. Um, and because of his obedience to God, he is divinely delivered. And another worldly king is brought into acknowledgement of God's eternal kingship, mm-hmm. um, which is just a continuation of what Daniel has already been doing for the first few chapters here. Um, but yeah. Don't forget about the flannel graphs on Daniel and the lion's den. I'm sure you had those too. I don't know what you're talking about with flannel graphs. Dude, okay. All right. We're going to we're gonna pause for a break here. So flannel graphs. Uh, it was it was a giant board that was made out of flannel, not okay. like my not like patterned like I'm a lumberjack flannel, like just a solid color flannel, because flannel will stick to flannel, and so you had little flannel Daniel that you could stick up on the board, and you could and he would stick there and he would stay. And you'd be like, this is Daniel, and then you have another little flannel Belshazzar, and you'd be like, this is Belshazzar, he's a bad dude, and Belshazzar said, you got to worship me, and Daniel's like, I'm not going to do that. And so Belshazzar threw Daniel in the lines and you could stick the flannel lines. I mean, you could paint the picture, man. It was awesome. Kids. Okay. Listeners. If you remember flannel graphs as a kid, message us and tell Michael how awesome flannel graphs are. I have no reference for this at all. Because I feel incredibly bad that Michael did not get to experience flannel graphs in his childhood. Because this flannel like graphs an, were amazing. Is this an eighties, nineties thing? Probably eighties. Yes. This. I mean, this would have been. This would have been like eighty-six or seven, maybe eighty-eight. Yeah. That I remember okay. these. But they went into the nineties too, man. RAs and GAs. We use flannel graphs. Yeah, you're you're talking about stuff that <laughs> predates me as a person. So, all right. We're back from that break. We're going to continue on into our discussion so we can get through Daniel and Anthony can figure out what how he's going to tell me about flannel graphs more. Flannel graphs. I'm going to um, go buy a flannel graph now. Oh, gosh. Don't. <laughs> Your wife will lose her mind. She will. It'll be amazing. All right. Actually, she might love it. She's an Chapter 7. Too. Go. <laughs> anyway. We got to right, so, go. get going. We got to finish this. So we finished with Daniel in the Lion's Den, and then Chapter 7 starts rolling into the visions. Remember, we said uh, two through seven were written in Aramaic, and then as we transition to eight, it's going to go back to the language of Hebrew. Okay, so this first vision is important because this first vision sets up the other ones. Okay, mm-hmm. it it kind of it, it kind of it doesn't tell all about them specifically, but you get the four beasts, the four winds, um, all of that kind of tells you what's coming. Okay, so the beast from the sea with the four winds, we enter, and just for the record, we are entering the weird part of the book now. Just want you guys to know that. <laughs> so, but it wasn't um, weird when the three guys were in the fiery furnace and didn't get singed, or when Daniel just was chilling with a lion. Well, that wasn't I mean, weird enough. That's just supernatural stories. I mean, that's like Joseph getting getting uh, promoted in Egypt back in Exodus or Genesis. You know, this is, th- those are just miraculous stories. We're, when you read Daniel and you're like, the winds blew and the little horn and that you're like, what in the 
world was Daniel smoking? <laughs> he had the good stuff. <laughs> he had the good stuff. Just like John had the good stuff. Maybe, I don't know, maybe John and Daniel were, were cohorts. Uh, anyway, I'm getting distracted and I got to stop. <laughs> Chapter seven, go. Chapter seven. So um, there, there are scholars who believe that the four beasts that come out uh, represent four empires. Uh, of history, it's entirely possible. Um, you know, I've heard Rome, I've heard Babylon, I've heard America, I've heard I've heard everybody linked to this thing, and and so you know, if it is, I think possibly the four nations are in the time period of David. I'm David. What am I talking about? Daniel. Okay, mm-hmm. they're in Daniel's time period. Is what is what they are. And so I don't think there's any need to try to read future um, events necessarily into our future empires into this. Um, there's no there's no need to shoehorn ourselves into the narrative. Is that what you're saying? As, as much as Americans love to shoehorn their themselves into everything, no, there's no reason to do that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry if that if that offends you. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. I'm sorry you're offended for what I said, <laughs> but I'm not sorry for what I said. That's right. <laughs> sorry you took offense. So, um, Daniel here, uh, you'll notice that as you get through chapter seven, he doesn't really talk about the oppression that the people of God are facing until the end of the chapter. Okay. And and he's going to bring this in because it's going to focus everybody's attention on the defeat of the beast which happens at the end of seven and then got the setup and establishment of God's everlasting and eternal kingdom, which is going to be the main repeated theme in all mm-hmm. of these visions. Yeah. You know, just like we've seen God establishing himself over Belshazzar, over Nebuchadnezzar, um, God is continually defeating whatever is put in his way. Mm-hmm. And all the way, again, the final defeat comes at the point of death. You know, you have great empires, you have great rulers, you have people who think they're divine, and you have sorcerers. God just systematically defeats all of them in line, and then the final one to be defeated is death. And that is defeated by Jesus Christ, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay? So keep that in mind as we're flowing through uh, each one of these visions, but this first vision really sets it up and, and it kind of sets up the theme of what's going to happen for each one of the sequential visions after this. So take us through the yep. next vision in chapter eight. So the vision of the Ram and goat are in chapter eight, uh, two more uh, empires from chapter seven that we just talked about are here in this vision. Um, in verses six through eight, and then also in twenty-one, we see um, Alexander Great's victory over Persia and the subsequent fourfold division of his empire among his four generals, mm-hmm. from whom eventually would come, uh, from whom eventually would come the little horn, and then uh, the focus here is Alexander Great attacks the saints mm-hmm. and their worship. <clears throat> And he himself is destroyed. Um, and this theme of worldly nations attacking the saints and being destroyed by divine power um, continues. It's going to come up again, I'm sure. Um, yes. And it's kind of a recurring theme here in the last few weeks is that God is going to use somebody to punish or 
bring about something, but there's not going to be, it's not going to be without consequence for that person. That's right. So, and that's where we have landed. We end chapter eight there, and then we pick up in chapter nine. So chapter nine is a lot of fun because it's not necessarily a vision per se, um, but this is more of a story where Daniel is reflecting back on other parts of the Old Testament, specifically the book of Jeremiah. And so Daniel is reminded here in chapter nine, and, and at one point during chapter nine, he goes into this another one of these prayers uh, that leads him to f- the prayer. And what leads him to prayer is the reminder that Israel is living in covenant unfaithfulness, and that's why they're in the situation they're in with Babylon, um, because they are uh, unfaithful. And this is where you start getting the um, the John Hagees with the 70 years and the this and the that, and that's what this means, and this, this has to fit into that, and it follows this timeline, and, you know, the tribulation, the mid-trib, and the post-trib, and uh, all that comes from Revelation is, is tied back to this part of Daniel right here. And so, uh, if you want to know what I believe about it, then uh, don't ask me, because I will spend hours telling you, and it's a lot of fun. I love talking about this kind of stuff. It's fun. Um, But anyway, so there's a lot of debate surrounding the 70 years here in chapter 9 of Daniel and and how it relates to uh, Jeremiah, specifically Jeremiah chapter 25, um, and it is a huge rabbit hole. Um, If you want to travel down it, be my guest. Travel down it. Just don't listen to John Hagee, please. Um, Message us and I will send you some books because I have plenty of books that I can recommend on on this topic. Uh, that's a lot of fun, and it's it's really I mean, it's not what we're talking about here is not gospel center stuff. Okay, this is not it's going not primary to, or secondary primary. issues. This not this is barely even tertiary stuff that we're talking about. The the ways that people have interpreted Daniel chapter nine and the rest of Daniel and tying it to revelation and all of that kind of stuff. There's, it's really fun to read. Uh, if you're a weird nerd, like I am, mm-hmm. but if you're not, then read it, understand what it is. Daniel is tying this back to Jeremiah. Um, and he's, he's seeing this interpretation fulfilled is, is what Daniel actually believes here. He's seeing all of this stuff fulfilled right here in this moment. Um, and so, that sets us into the next couple of chapters, um, which is chapter 10 through some of chapter 12. So take us through those. So we have the angel's revelation of the future in chapters 10 through uh, 12, verse 4. Um, in all of the visions we've been talking about up to this point, end up pointing to this final mm-hmm. uh, vision. Um the focus is a scene of massive destruction set against a resurrection and future hope for God's saints. So um, the destruction of Jerusalem, but also the um, backdrop of hope and a future mm-hmm. and of resurrection that comes ultimately from Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's that. And then you uh, wrap up Daniel, this, the last part of chapter 12. Um, Daniel actually has a couple of questions um, there that he brings out. You know, when is all this stuff going to come to an end? And again, this goes back to the debate, millennia of debate surrounding uh, the second coming of Christ, the return, um, the as what we would call, as theologians, we call it eschatology, the study of the end times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think kind of like if, you, if we're going to boil this down into – one 
main point? What is that one main point that we're trying to get out of this? And I think it's the fact that Christians, believers, uh, people who have put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior um, and have submitted to his lordship in their life, okay, they can rest easy. They can stand firm in the fact that God promises to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to consummate this creation. Um, it's gonna. There's going to be some turmoil leading up to it. I think we can all uh, agree on that. If you read the book of Revelation, if you read the book of Daniel, if you read the Old Testament, um, the, things end up badly for a little while, but then uh, Christ returns and sets everything right. Okay, and that's what mm-hmm. gives us hope. That's what should give Christians hope. Yeah. And so, no matter what you believe about the end times, and again, this is why this is tertiary. It doesn't matter what you believe about end times as far as how the events are going to play out. What matters is that you believe in the one who is going to end the end times. Yeah. And that's Christ. And that your faith and your hope is in him and whatever he sees fit to do, whether it's, you know, rapture the church off of the earth or leave the church here through a tribulation, through a time of of trial, Um, no matter what your belief is on that. Knowing that at the end of at the end of all of it, Christ is coming. Christ is going to return. Christ is bringing a new heaven, a new earth, and He's establishing His kingdom once and for all. Yeah, and the consummation of the age happens, and everything is put back right again. Yeah. So, as you read through Daniel, you know, I said at the beginning that there was parts of this stuff that are for God's people, and there are parts of this stuff that are kind of for the whole world. You know, you have chapters two through seven. Chapter 12 gives us that final hope. And chapter 12 is written in Hebrew. And so it's it's a reminder to God's people that God is always going to to care for and take care of his people. Yeah. Okay. And that's people who are in Christ. And so we can stand firm in that. We can rest in that. And because of that, we can have great hope. Yeah. And we can recognize that. So that's all I have to to add for the book of Daniel. That's great. It's a good word. Sweet. Well, shall I pray for us? You shall. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. God, we thank you for tonight. Uh, we thank you for another night that we can sit down and uh, enjoy a good, uh, good beer, good drink, and we can discuss your word. We can talk about what your word means to us as believers. We can talk about the weird things. Um, and we can talk about the things that are fun to talk about. And uh, through all of that, God, that we can recognize that you are a purpose-driven God who has a purpose for his people. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that you are a promise keeper. We thank you that you are a steadfast and faithful God. And that even when we fail, even when we don't live up to our end of of the covenant, our end of the bargain, God, you stand firm and you promise redemption for those who are in your son, Christ Jesus. And so we rejoice in that and we worship you for that and we give you all the glory and all the honor for that. We thank you for uh, allowing us to discuss this, allowing us to have time and a platform and uh, microphones and technology that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, God, but in the end, you you prevail and, and, and you see all these things through. 
And so, God, we're thankful again for just the opportunity that you've given. Uh, and we pray that it would be a blessing for those who hear, uh, that they could rejoice in it, that they would be blessed by it. And God, it's nothing that we have done, uh, God, but all the glory and all the honor goes to you. And so we thank you for that. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, Michael, if they, uh, there was like six times that I told people to message us. So if they did want to message us on social media, where would they do it? You can find the Beers and Bible podcast on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible podcast. And you can also email us at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. If at any point during the episode you had a question or when Anthony prompted you to want to reach out to give us all your thoughts on something um, or send us, uh, uh, what was it called? Flannels. Flannel graphs. Um, flannel graphs. Um, <laughs> you can do that yeah, on any you of don't those. don't know what flannel graphs are. <laughs> I don't have no reference point at all. Um, so if you want to tell me what our flannel graph is, and if you have a picture of one you want to send to us, please do. Um, <laughs> you can do that at any of those. If you have any questions about anything we've talked about, any beers that you'd like for us to review on the podcast, we would love to do that as well. Ooh, excuse me. And we look forward to hearing from you on any and all of those platforms. There you go. Well, until next week, we hope that your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open. And we will see you later. Peace out.